Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. Well, good morning again, and for those of you, if we haven't had the chance to meet, I'm Robbie Itterberg. I'm one of the pastors, and on this Thanksgiving weekend, I have, as I'm sure you have, so many things that you are thankful for, but one of the things I am incredibly thankful for is that I get to be one of your pastors, that I'm thankful that God's hand on my life, on the life, thank you. Thankful for his hand on the life of my family that five years ago this weekend brought us here. I'm thankful for you, the people that are the church. I'm thankful for our partnership, our work together for the sake of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to share it with one another, to share it with our community and with the world. I have so much that I am grateful for, the things that God has done and that he will do in us and through us in the future. I I really am filled with gratitude, even though these five years have been a very quick five years. I'm thankful that this morning I get to share God's word with you again. And I can hardly believe that it's Advent. I mean, where did the time go this season, these four weekends leading up to Christmas that we, are try- we strive each year to be intentional with as a way to prepare our hearts for the Christmas celebration. And there's all sorts of preparations that are happening, I'm sure, for Christmas. Maybe for you, you've begun decorating. Maybe for some, it's thinking about, if not already beginning, the annual baking and you know, the other decorating trees and things that you've got up. And for most of us, it will also include shopping of some kind, I'm sure, and may have already begun for you. But apparently that may be more difficult than it has been in previous years. Have you been paying attention to the stories about the the supply shortages, the, the supply chain issues that are creating product scarcity. So it may be more difficult for you to get the things that you want and the things that you want to purchase for others. So consider this your public service announcement. Get started early, right? Because there's a scarcity of products. But I was thinking about this and I was realizing that I don't just think this is about shopping products and things this time of year. I think in this time of year, we can really actually feel like we don't have enough. That there's a scarcity of inner resources, not just outer resources. Where we can feel like we don't have enough in the tank to keep going. We don't have enough energy or time to do all the things. We don't have enough peace to simply enjoy and experience the beauty of the season as it's intended to be. We don't have enough joy to match the hype that is all around us. We feel like this season that's supposed to fill us up often just drains us. And we wonder if it's possible to be filled up again, at least possible before the new year. I think it's part of why there's that line in, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, right? Mom and dad can hardly wait for school to start again. (laughs) Right? Because we feel tapped out even before the big day comes. And we're going to try our best to enjoy it, but it feels like there is a lack and a scarcity within us. And so we're starting this, se- this series for Advent that we're calling Much, 
abundance in a time of scarcity. And through this series, we're going to explore how scarcity seems to creep into our lives and leave us wanting and feeling like we're lacking, but how in the good news of Jesus Christ, we have so much. We have much hope, much faith, much joy, much peace, much love. We have an abundance available to us right here, right now. And so we're going to jump in this morning to begin exploring the abundance that we have in Jesus Christ. And we're going to start this morning reading from Romans chapter 8. If you'd like to follow along on the screen, you can. But listen for God's Word speaking to each of us this morning, right into the very real circumstances you may find yourself in today. Paul says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is the word of the Lord. And let's pray as we move into God's Word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of this time, of this place, of this opportunity to hear from you. And so we invite you to be the one speaking, that you would fill us with a hope that lasts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this passage is packed so full. We're not going to be able to break down every part by any means, but we want to grab on this morning to what Paul offers us as much hope in view of the present sufferings. And I don't know about you, but I love how real Paul is about life. He's just so down to earth. I mean, he's writing a letter to the persecuted church, to these people who had been hunted down and killed because of their faith. He's writing to a people in a time where life expectancy was pretty short. I mean, he was writing to a people who were very familiar with suffering. And he says, yes, I know you're suffering. In fact, you are groaning, he says, because you are waiting. And I, I just love that word, groan. Isn't it a great word? It's so descriptive. You almost don't even need to define it. You just feel it. When was the last time you really groaned? And I was thinking about it, and I think for me it was a few months ago, maybe when the stomach bug passed through our house. I mean, and you're just there. And I was just groaning, wanting it so badly to be over and hurting and miserable, right? I just groan is the perfect word. It's so descriptive. And Paul is saying, yes, the present suffering you are enduring is real. You don't have to pretend it's not. So I wonder for you this morning, what are you groaning about? What are you groaning through? 
Because we've grown inwardly in the depth of our being and we're groaning because we are waiting, waiting for it to be over, waiting for something different. Because I don't know about you, but I don't sit around on days where I'm feeling healthy and strong and things are going well. I'm not sitting there groaning. I don't get up and just, on days where things seem to be okay. Right? If I did, I'm not sure what people would think. No, I know what they'd think. They'd think, man, there's something wrong. What's going on? There's something happening. You're waiting for something. You're clearly going through something that you want to be different. What are you waiting for? Because that's what groaning is really about. And Paul is talking about this. We're waiting. We're longing. We're groaning every day of our lives. And he specifically says, we're waiting for our adoption as daughters and sons of God and the redemption of our bodies. So what is he getting at? Well, I think these two things get at so many uh, of the, the core things that we hope for. And he's speaking of our adoption, which speaks directly to many of our insecurities, our fears, our deepest longings, because we all want to be wanted, don't we? To be accepted, to be chosen. I mean, every kid on the playground, when you line up picking teams, knows you want to be chosen. You'd rather be chosen first, but to be chosen last is better than not being chosen at all. We want to be chosen. And in adoption, God is saying, yes, I want you. I choose you. I choose, I want a relationship with you where you know me, where I know you, where we have this kind of closeness. And for us, I think this speaks to our deep-held insecurities that we carry with us because we often carry a fear of being rejected by the people around us. We have this insecurity that what if people really got to know me? What if they really know the things that I have done because some of it's ugly? What if if they get to know this part of my personality and it's off-putting to them and they turn away, they reject me? But God is saying, I want you. And we groan because we want someone to want us that way, to know us through and through, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and still want us to choose us. And we groan because we're waiting, Paul says, to be adopted like this. Not actually to be adopted. We've been adopted through Jesus Christ, but to experience the fullness of that adoption. To experience the irrevocable nature of that adoption. Because in Paul's day, adoption was irrevocable. It was permanent. Once you decided to adopt, you couldn't go back on it just because you were unhappy with what you had chosen. It was status-changing, life-altering, totally secure, and we long to experience adoption that way. We're longing to experience the fullness of it because even if you are a follower of Jesus, tasted that adoption, it is hard to hold on to the confidence and the security of being chosen and wanted that way. There's so many other fears, frustrations, and sufferings in our life. It causes us to doubt it. But Paul's saying there's going to be a day where you no longer have to struggle to hold on to the confidence and the assurance that you are wanted and secure. But until then, we groan as we wait. We're waiting and groaning, he says, also for the redemption of our bodies. Have you checked in with your body lately? I mean, some I know you can't help but to check in with your body all the time. And it is groaning just to get out of bed with the aches and the pains of life. Some groaning because of sickness or disease for some chronic that's been with you for so long. For others, as we are in the face of 
this ongoing pandemic of COVID and now an Omicron variant, like the reality of our bodies and others breaking down. Our bodies carry within us the lasting effects of the hurts and the traumas of life. Our bodies also reveal the stress, the grief, the depression, the anxiety. It's not something that can just be compartmentalized somewhere into our psyche. We are embodied souls. We experience that within our bodies. And Paul is saying, man, we long for our bodies. We groan for them to be redeemed because we know these bodies are weak. They are frail. They will not last, certainly, certainly not like this. And Paul is saying, man, yeah, but there's hope. There's hope for your body. There's hope for our bodies that they will be redeemed, that they will be purchased out of the decay and made new. You know, we are, sometimes we think of hope for life after death as that experience of we get to leave the body, like woo, that disembodied spirit, and we just kind of float around and do whatever, and the body just is left behind. But that is not the Christian hope. Christian hope is better than that. Christian hope is that your body will, in fact, be made new, will be transformed, will be healed. It will be just, it'll be your body, but it will be even better. It will be completely whole in every way. And we groan, waiting for our bodies to be redeemed. But you see in the passage that, that we aren't the only ones that groan. See, I, I think this, this passage is inviting us to have a hope that's bigger than ourselves. So much of our lives are so individualized, so turned in on me. Maybe the small group of people around us that we care about, and we, we have a hope for our future together. But Paul is saying, no, 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 this is so much bigger than your individual hope. Because God is offering hope for all of creation as well. And pa Paul is saying, in fact, creation itself is groaning because it's waiting. Meaning that the, the rocks and the plants and the animals and the water is groaning. It's waiting too. Did you know that creation is waiting? Creation is waiting for something to be different. Creation is waiting because it has been subjected to frustration as in, and is in bondage to decay. In other words, literally, the world is falling apart. And we know that. We see that. And it's not just about what we as humans are doing to it, though that's terrible. We're not stewarding the world. We're not taking care of it the way God intended us to take care of it as the ones who are supposed to represent him in the world. But it's beyond that even. There's something that is fundamentally flawed that we cannot overcome, that we as humans cannot cure, that is at the heart of creation. It's broken and decaying because of sin. Matter of fact, we go back to nearly the beginning of the story to Genesis 3 and we see Adam and Eve and we know the story that yes, they eat the fruit that God said don't eat, but it wasn't just about the fruit. It wasn't just that. It was actually that they wanted to be like God. They didn't want to be dependent on him. They didn't want to have to be obedient to him. They wanted to call the shots. And so they ate the fruit and sin as a result of this sin brought about death, separating us from life and from God, which is, uh, is where this groaning for security comes from because we were made for a secure relationship with God, but it's been broken. And God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden so that they didn't eat also from the tree of eternal life and experience life forever separated from God. It's permanently in groaning, but instead there was hope of a way back and, and in a roundabout way, death itself even becomes the invitation to come back to God and to life in him. But at the same time, because of sin, God, we're told, cursed creation. 
subjected it to frustration and decay. And I, I think part of it's because God doesn't want us to be too comfortable here in this life as it is separated from him and the purposes he has. He wants us to see that there's something beyond this. The, the world isn't the way it's supposed to be. And so we have deadly volcanoes and, and floods and tsunamis and, and we've got you know, earthquakes and fires and animal attacks and we've got all of these things that are a part of the, dec- the decay of creation. And it all points to the reality that the world is falling apart in the bondage to decay and it, creation itself is growing, groaning. And when we, so when we see the news of the pain and the struggle and the frustration, all of this is to say we shouldn't be surprised. It's all the consequences of sin. This present suffering is the consequences of the destruction of the relationship with God and with creation. And so we groan inwardly. Creation groans outwardly waiting for it all to be made new. So where's the hope in all this? Where's the hope in the world? Man, I think many of us aren't living with a whole lot of hope, or at least not a hope that's doing much for us. Because we look at the, we look at the, the world, and we look at the brokenness of it all, and we, we look at it, and we see the evidence of the decay, and we just go, man, I don't see any reason for hope. And, and so life at that point can become meaningless, and unfortunately, this, is, this seems to be a growing belief and philosophy that, you know what, there is no meaning for life. And of course, if you have that conclusion, there's a whole range of possibilities of how you live. You know, but, but some, it becomes, well, just do whatever you like. Think about the, the character Joker in, in the Batman series. You know, for, for the Joker, you know, life is meaningless. And so chaos and anarchy, anything goes, just becomes the way of life because it's meaningless. Everything is a joke. There is no good. There is no bad. It just is to do whatever you feel like in the moment. And obviously that's a super extreme and evil version, but there's all sorts of versions of just do whatever you like. And others who live with this sense that life is meaningless, that history isn't going anywhere, it's really just to be present in the moment, enjoy what you have, eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we're going to die. And I think for some, Christmas has a lot of that. It's just a season where we try to eat, drink, and be merry, gather with people that we enjoy. And so for a moment to have our spirits lifted out of the groaning, the waiting, be distracted from it all. But you may have experienced the Christmas high often leads to the January lows, doesn't it? Because that's not a hope that's sustaining. It's fleeting. We get the new gift, the new, the new toy, the new electronic, the new gadget. And, and at the moment, it's invigorating, and it fades. Time with the people we care about, vacation, time off, it can't last. We got to go back to work. It doesn't sustain, especially in the face of present and real suffering. And so we start to groan once again. And Paul is offering a different hope, a hope that sustains, a hope that is certain. Because one of the problems with hope is that it's uncertain, isn't it? I mean, just the word itself, when we say hope, it, it has an uncertainty to it. Abby was out of town for, for a little while uh, celebrating her sister's birthday. And so I was, you know, managing life at home, and I'm not the cook in our house by any means. I'm so grateful that Abby cooks and cooks well. And, but on Wednesday night, just this past Wednesday, I, I decided, okay, I'm going to get the kids McDonald's, and I'm just going to find something to eat out of the fridge. So I go to the fridge, and I start rummaging around, and I found leftover chicken taco meat from sometime the week before. Sometime. 
And I'm like, I don't really remember when we had this. And so I open it and I smell it. And I'm like, eh, you know, it smells okay. Let's do this. So I start making my taco. I get the tortilla out. I put in the meat and the cheese and I even cut tomatoes. I mean, look at me, a chef, right? And put an avocado in there and some lettuce because, of, you know, green things are supposed to be healthy and, you know, try to do that. So, and I'm thinking this whole time, when did we have this? And I start thinking to last night's dinner and the dinner before that and the dinner before that. And I, I, I'm taking a bite and I go, when did we have this? And I'm still thinking it through in my head. And I realize while I'm eating it that I am just hoping I don't get sick. Right? It's the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. It would be awful to have food poisoning leading into Thanksgiving Day. It's like my favorite eating day of the year. And I take another bite. And I'm just hoping I don't get sick. And this is the problem with hope, isn't it? It's uncertain. We don't know the outcome, just like you don't know the outcome of the story. (laughs) I did stop eating it halfway through. It It just wasn't worth it. But man, that's that's hope. When we think about hope, I hope things will get better. I hope we get to the other side of this pandemic. I hope for a new job opportunity. I hope that I'll have a family. I hope for a future. I hope for healing. I hope things will get fixed. I hope it'll all work out. But the reality is when it comes down to it, we say, I hope, and we take another bite. And we just hope for hope's sake. But it's uncertain. And Paul recognizes it, and that's part of why we groan. But he wants to offer a different type of hope A hope that is certain because in Christ, a hope that is based in Jesus Christ sustains. It is significant in a different kind of way because it's a hope that comes out of a different kind of groaning. Yes, we groan inwardly. Creation groans, but it said creation groans as in the pains of childbirth. Did you see that? Now, I have not given birth to a child, just on the record. I have witnessed a few at this point, and there was a lot of groaning for Abby too. I'm just kidding. But the remarkable and amazing thing of so many mothers who've endured the pain, who have given birth, that the the moment they hold the child, that pain and suffering recedes into the background. Not that it goes away. You carry the pain and uh, through the healing process, it's still there. But it recedes into the background in light of the incredible reality of holding the child that you have hoped for for so long. And Paul is saying the similar thing. He's saying, man, this hope that we have, it's just like this. It's a hope that's come out out of very real, literal pains of childbirth. Mary herself endured the pains of childbirth to bring in the Christ child, Jesus, the Messiah, the one that we anticipate at Christmas, the one we celebrate, the one who then secures for us personal adoption, who secures for us the redemption of our bodies, who ensures that all of creation will in fact be made new, that all of the decay, the bondage, the frustration, and our sin was actually put on the Son of God who came to earth through the, chains of, tr- through the groans of childbirth and he would carry it on himself, within himself, to a cross and he would groan to the point of his own death to secure for you a hope of a future, a hope that would be grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ, a hope that was certain because it's already been purchased for you in the past, it's done, it cannot be revoked, it cannot be taken away. 
Because he is the assurance that everything you long for to be loved, chosen, wanted, accepted will in fact come to pass. And it comes with the gift of the Holy Spirit. That when you've put your faith in Jesus, we're told in this passage that you receive the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits were were the, the early crop that would come up There was this promise that there would be even more and the Holy Spirit that comes within us is like that, that first deposit, the promise that all of the rest of it will come to pass someday. It's the assurance today and the Spirit speaks to us and says, hey, it's not dependent on you. It's not dependent on the circumstance having to change, but it's been secured because of what Jesus has done for you. And man, that hope, that kind of hope changes everything for us. Two years ago yesterday, we welcomed our youngest, Everett, into the world. It was his birthday yesterday. Two years, crazy. But that day was a crazy day. It was a day filled with uncertainty, filled with suffering. See, in the course of bringing Everett into the world via C-section because he was breech and refused to flip, in the, in the midst of that C-section, Abby went into a coma for eight or nine hours. Everett came out and his body was totally limp because of the anesthesia. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know the outcome. Everett was taken to the NICU and... Thankfully, within about an hour or so, he had perked up as the anesthesia got out of his system and it seemed like he was going to bounce back and be okay. But I had no idea what was going to happen to Abby. I went with her when she was transferred to the ICU and I just sat there by her side as she was ventilated. And I just sat there. I wish I could tell you that I was like this pillar of faith and courage and I was praying vigilantly that God would intervene miraculously and that would be a lie. I was just sitting there. But I wasn't in despair. I wasn't overcome. I wasn't overwhelmed. But I also was not naive to what was going on because that's not the kind of hope that Paul is laying out for us. He's not saying you have to pretend it's all going to be okay. No, the reality is we're living in this present suffering. And I was thinking all about the present suffering. I was thinking about what life would be like without my wife. I was thinking about the conversation I was going to have to have with our three other children to say, I don't know if your mom's ever going to come back. So I was eyes wide open as to what was going on, not knowing where it would end up. But also with a sustaining and steady hope that I had to consciously remind myself of that even if the circumstance doesn't change, even if it goes the worst possible way, that there is a hope. There is a redemption, a hope of redemption of our bodies There is a hope of adoption as children of God. There is hope that the glorification, the finished work that will come, will overwhelm and overcome all of the present suffering. And to have that hope changes everything. We can simply be present 
It can change each moment that we live, not having to hope that just the circumstance will change, but that everything in the big picture is in fact going to be healed, going to be redeemed, because it's been purchased because of the, the life, the birth of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection has assured that it will all be okay. And we don't have to despair. We don't have to give in to the darkness that seems like it's going to overwhelm us. And we don't have to ignore the reality of our present suffering. And so we groan. But we groan with a hope in Jesus Christ that changes everything. And I think if we can hold that hope, it can change this Christmas season from one of scarcity to one of abundance. And it can change every season of present suffering to be one that you don't just have to endure, one where you don't just have to get by, but you can acknowledge the stress, the pain, the grief, and receive a hope that is sure and certain for you. And so this morning, I wonder, what are you groaning about? What are you groaning through? What do you look out into the world and you say, man, it is broken and messed up and you are absolutely right. It is all pointing to the reality of our need for a hope that is sustained, a hope that is certain and a hope that is sure for us in Jesus Christ that he will make all things new. And that hope can transform your whole life. With that hope, we don't have to just eat, drink, and be merry don't have to try to get everything on our list, but we can become people of deep and abiding hope that can point others to a hope that they desperately need. We can share that, man, I love Christmas. I love Christmas because I, I love being with family. I love Christmas because exchanging gifts is fun and a wonderful way to express our love for one another. I love Christmas because of the songs, the nostalgia, the memories. I love Christmas because of the decorations. And I love Christmas because Christmas is the assurance of a hope that it sustains, that whatever the present suffering is, nothing, nothing will compare to the glorification, the finished work that God is going to do in you and in me and in this hurting and broken world. This is the hope of Christmas. Hope that can sustain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that there is a hope that is, is on a firm foundation that is not us. It is on a firm foundation that doesn't just need for a circumstance to change in order for us to be sustained but that there is a hope in Jesus Christ that cannot be taken away because he has already purchased it through his life, his death, and his resurrection. It makes it a hope that is sure and certain. Lord God, help us to grab onto that hope, to cling to it, that it would sustain us through whatever our groaning, our waiting, and our present suffering. Lord, we, we acknowledge it before you, and we invite you to transform us with a living hope in Jesus Christ.